Welcome to Cancel Culture, the business of law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Welcome back to Council Culture, uh, the business of Law Podcast. Uh, I am joined once again this week by Ben. Hi, Ben. Hi, Meg. How's it going? Yeah, I'm all right. How about you? Yeah, not too bad. It's been quite quite a good week all around, really. I know. It's been very cold, um, but a busy week. Um, and um, yeah, I think uh, we've seen some really interesting news this week uh, that caused quite a quite a lot of conversations so uh let's let's get started um so i think um th- the first one which um well has been uh dominating the legal trades uh this week has been the announcement that um Cravath, uh was actually entering the UK market properly. They had already a, a base for their lawyers when they were traveling around, but it was never a kind of established office. Uh, they've now hired some uh, partners from Sherman and Sterling, finance partners, uh, I should add, um, to officially launch uh, their UK operations. Um, any thoughts on that so far? Yeah, I, I, I have a few. The first one is, you know, for, for those that are not overly familiar with sort of so-called white shoe traditional Wall Street firms, they are prestigious. They really, really are. And I think Cravath is probably top of that list, just in my my humble opinion. Uh, I saw one commentator who was anonymous, uh, which made me chuckle this week in um, the excellent law.com roundup of sort of anonymous views saying, this is a, a credibility play by Cravath. And that made me chuckle because I think they're probably the most, one of the world's most credible law firms. And if they're doing something, they will probably do it slowly in a very, very considered way. I think this is massive news. The other thing that springs to mind is it is an LBO leverage finance play, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, when people think of Cravath, they tend to often think of sort of, you know, high-end, high-end M&A, a bit like Sultra May, really. Uh, and I think when people saw this story, they may have thought, well, it's an M&A play and it's not, not yet. But it's going to be very interesting to see how they build. I don't think they're going to necessarily build very quickly. Mm. You know, we're not going to see flurries of, of partners left, right and centre. Uh, I think the bar for quality will be very high, but where where they go strategically from a practice area perspective, they're also really good on the contentious side. Uh, They've got some very heavyweight investigations uh, partners in in New York. Let's see, you know, is there going to be a play given how closely the enforcement uh, agencies globally work together. Is there going to be a play where they hire a um, investigations partner next? It's going to be. I actually think the really, really interesting part of this story is not arrived yet. It's going to be what is not so much the launch, which actually seemed to leak out, didn't it? I didn't see any sort of official statements or anything from from, from anybody, which is which is fair enough. That's their want. But whatever happens next is going to be really, really interesting. And I, I for one, am I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, as you say, I mean, this is like, it's a firm that's over 200 years old now. um, And I think they've had traditionally quite a um, conservative way of approaching growth um, um, in the US, at least. Um, So I'd be keen to actually know the motivations behind launching in London specifically, because I would have thought that you would want to grow domestically first before launching um, in another jurisdiction is quite a, a, a big gamble to do that for any firm. Um, so that's really interesting. I wonder if maybe there's a Brexit angle where there's not yet a deal 
like a decent deal between the UK and the US. And so if, if that played a part or if it's something completely different, you know, maybe um, business strategy um, kind of goals or I don't know. And, and I think it would be nice to hear from the firm on that, because at the moment, I think across the market, there's a lot of confusion and speculation. That's what I'm seeing from those news stories that have appeared and kind of deeper um insights as well uh, across the legal press yeah and and for me it's it's also why now why now yeah I mean, absolutely you know, is it a statement of confidence in in the uk which we can all you know take some heart from why why now we don't know do we and you know i think they've been here 20 years or, or even more in terms of the liaison office i could be wrong on that don't quote me but why you know why now is it, it would be really really interesting to know a why now and b what's next wouldn't it yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I mean, obviously, they've taken partners from a firm that's currently going through a lot of changes. Um, so there's definitely an angle there as well. That's quite interesting. And again, I mean, everyone's been looking at the relationship with Slaughter and May. Um, and that's interesting because a lot of people were speculating that, you know, is it going to bother them or something? I mean, again, as you said, it's it's a finance team, not an M&A team. So I don't I don't think there's much of a worry here. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. It's the point I made at the beginning. You automatically think, oh my goodness, it's an M&A play. So what does it mean for firms that they, they work with? But it's not yet, is it? It's, 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 it's LBO, so leverage finance. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think I, I would I would remind people as well that might be listening that, um, again, I mean, if if you look at the the European best friends of of and May, some of them do have an office in London. Um, I, I don't think uh, nobody would question whether that that's something a bit, you know, whether there's a problem in the relationship there. It's just the office is there in period, you know. So I I don't know if it's really relevant to question that. Um, interestingly, I would question whether actually Kravath is looking for a murder partner in the UK. Um, that's, that would be the angle that I would take if I was a journalist, but, you know, um, to, to each their own. Um, that, that would be a story, wouldn't it? That would be insane. Uh, absolutely insane. Um, but yeah, it, it would be really good to hear from the firm themselves just to, to get a sense of what's happening here and why it's happening. Uh, I think it would bring a lot of clarity to everyone in the market. And and I think a lot of people want to get to know them better as well, because um, this is an opportunity, right? Otherwise they wouldn't have come to this market. So um, yeah, uh, it would be really good to hear from them. I think just, I guess a final note on that. I mean, where they did get some headlines was around their looks that wasn't it? Yeah. Um, some, some, some time back uh, because of their, their, their very traditional financial model, which I think changed. So that, apart from being very, very good, is the other thing that people think of when they think of cravats, don't they? But yeah, it'll be it'll be really interesting. And um, I'm off to the states at the end of this uh, end, yeah, end of March, uh, just to see a few clients and and relationship firms. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, getting some soundings as to what they think cravat is doing in, in London from people that I see, and I shall report back on that for us. Yeah. Yeah, that will be interesting, actually. Yeah, I'll make sure to book you in the <laughs> a podcast slot for when you come back so we can get all the goss from, from New York. Next up is a story in the FT uh, by Kate uh, Bealey and um, Joe Miller, uh, where basically um, some in-house teams have been asking their um, their 
legal advisors for discounts, postponements of payments, uh, or, or fixed fee deals as well, or have just taken more work in-house rather than relying on their legal advisors as a result of, you know, multiple economic issues uh, in, in the wider market and kind of, you know, interest rates rising and, and um, firms also increasing their, their fees. So um, uh, I thought that, I mean, it's not really surprising. I think everyone was kind of expecting something like that to happen at some point soon. Um, but it's interesting to see kind of how law firms are, are responding to it and the conversations they're having with clients and kind of um, how they're faring as well, because at the same time, they have to look after their own finances, right? So it's a, it's a, it's an interesting one. What do you think, Ben? Well, the first thing that springs to mind is kudos to Kate. She managed to get some pretty honest uh, views and answers from some very senior partners that she spoke to for her piece about the the reality of the situation. I was quite surprised actually to to to, to read them, but probably not necessarily un, un, unhelpful. I guess my view is is this: that people generally think the common view is that during a downturn sort of law firms fortunes lag sort of three or four months behind the reality of the economic situation don't they so yeah the, the optimist in me thinks well maybe this is just a sort of repercussion of a very very uh nervous feeling that we all had in just before christmas going into this year and it certainly now feels an awful lot better doesn't it we're not out of the woods but we we're not sinking into the abyss that perhaps we thought of some yeah. of those months ago so maybe uh i guess the glass half full version is 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 this that you know it just reflects where sentiment and perhaps the even economy was you know uh, a quarter ago three or four months i guess the half of half the the glass of empty view is you know is quite a worrying trend uh you know and are clients going to be sort of you know zipping up the the, the purse strings and what will that lead to what we definitely don't want to do is have another conversation about the billable hour do we because i think we've done yeah. that at least three times so let's yeah. not do that but actually in, in joking aside there probably is a bit of a conversation around that as well isn't it Definitely, because I mean, look, I mean, this is going to affect, I would assume, um, partner drawings, but also kind of retaining your talent. I mean, with the salaries that they're giving to NQs nowadays, are we going to be able to see some more um, salary rises anytime soon for associates? And, you know, I, I just I don't know if, if what that means for the war um, for talent, um, given the circumstances. And I don't think clients would be happy to see their legal advisors increasing their fees like that just to pay for you know a two-year qualified lawyer <laughs> yeah. um yeah it's it's an interesting one um but sorry, the, what do you want to say there's a really important point isn't there that you know, certainly for the uk headquarters firms we're just heading towards year end yeah and you know the frenzy of billing which is you know traditionally takes place during that final month you don't really want this kind of narrative hanging over that process do you uh, you know, if you look at lockup and and, and 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 things like that, you, you don't want a narrative of you know clients not really paying bills or not doing yeah. so in a hurry. When you you don't really want to be firing more bills after them at the same time, do you? So it could have a it could have some quite serious repercussions on the year ends, couldn't it? Definitely, definitely, and and also something that um, Corinne Staves pointed out previously is that you know professional services firms and partnerships are going through a year of transition in, ter in terms of tax. So they need to actually uh, 
bring more cash into the firm right. um, to, to be able to pay for more tax in that transition year, 2023 to 2024. So it, there's a lot at play here. I think it's really interesting. Something that also struck me in that piece is that towards the end, there was a quote, I can't remember who said this, um, but there was a quote from someone that saying actually a lot of the clients don't really want discounts. What they want is more transparency from their legal advisors uh, from the get-go as to how much they need to budget to pay for whatever project they're enlisting a, a law firm for, uh, which is really interesting. And, and I wonder, I'd be keen to hear from GCs on this because um, I, I do think that there's definitely an element of truth in that probably. Uh, and I wonder what lawyers could do or law firms could do to make sure that, you know, they're very honest and transparent with their clients before embarking on to a whole kind of um, panel review or project work or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. That's that's not a new point, though, is it? I think it's not. Cli clients being frustrated around lack of transparency, I think you're going to get that whatever the economy is. I, I agree. I just think, yeah, maybe there's more to work on here. And, and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if the regulators are keen to look at it as well, but um, I just thought that was really interesting. Next up, it was a story in The Telegraph this week about uh, we're, we're going back to uh, artificial intelligence here, <laughs> which is not my favorite topic, but it was interesting because there's a company a rival to OpenAI, which created a chat GPT um, that is currently developing a robot that's going to be a lawyer. And so that robot, from what I'm seeing, is that it's going to be there to draft documents and and, and do that kind of work. Um, I actually wonder if it's a physical, like an actual robot like that looks like a person, or if it's just going to be software like ChatGPT. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but interesting, yeah, again, it's interesting to see how much um, people are willing to to put into this for innovation. Um, and, and again, it raises questions around these data protection, kind of uh, potential negligence and things like that, because technology is not perfect. You'll always need a, another pair of real human eyes to, to, to look over things. So yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've met a few lawyers in my time that are a bit robotic. <laughs> so <laughs> to actually have a robot might not be a, a massive difference, but... <laughs> I, I really think that with, with AI, it's the same points that you can make, however it, it, it moves. Uh, and I go back again to the launch of due diligence software back in 2016, 17, which was really the kind of big line in the sand. And the arguments still hold, don't they? And they're as follows. I think one is, you know, do, do, do these latest developments mean that associates will be out of jobs? Mm. Uh, no. Uh, two, uh, the, the, the points you raise about data, et cetera, which will be which will be covered. Three, which I think is always the most interesting one and probably most controversial is around billing, is if you are a you know a, a law firm and you have you know got this new bit of kit or a real robot lawyer, whatever whatever form this takes, how do you monetize that? How do you, you know, how do you make money from it? Yeah. Uh, how do you charge accordingly? And how do you manage clients' expectations? I would automatically think, well, we're paying you, you know, whatever it is an hour to do this work. If you're getting a robot to do it, you can't charge us for this. You can make the argument that you can. And the real value actually comes at the end where obviously any work that the robot produces needs to be checked. Yeah. Uh, that it's right. 
and that's where the real cerebral value is added by by by, by your lawyers. So it's about monetizing that. And I all, always think with when we have these stories that you know all the all the sort of sensationalist stuff about robots taking our jobs and all that is quite fun. But the real really interesting point for me is billing and charging yeah. and monetizing, and also the fact that uh, you know the canny providers. What they do is that they make versions of whatever software or AI bit of kit that they are making that works in-house as well. It might be the same thing, or it might be a different version. And again, that billing point makes it really, really interesting because you're empowering GCs, aren't you? And they might not have to use external counsel because they've got this kit that will do some of the job for them. So I think that kind of slightly murky area around you know billing is the most interesting part of all this. Always. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And also it's, it's the kind of thing where GCs will think, well, if I'm going to have to pay for a lawyer to look over a document drafted by a robot, doesn't it make more sense for me to actually invest in having the robot in my own team? <laughs> um, which uh, I don't know. I don't know how in the long term that could play out. I mean, it's it's a really interesting question as to how much you bill it and and even even like you know in five years time this is a type of technology that's going to be old school do you know what i mean because it, it it advances so fast nowadays it's like well are you still able to bill for something that's five years old at that point i don't know um so yeah i'd be keen to, to hear from for example you know um who've got chat gpt kind of uh or an equivalent um in use and kind of how that works in terms of billing and how they managed to, to find how much they were supposed to, to bill clients for it. Next up is a story. Well, I mean, that you will have seen that across all the nationals and broadcast and everywhere in the press yesterday. Um, the journalist who was charged with um, writing Matt Hancock's um, memoir, I guess, uh, has breached her DNA, uh, uh, NDA, sorry, <laughs> um, and released over 100,000 WhatsApp messages uh, between um, ministers and other government officials, uh, especially the ones from the kind of COVID time where he was um, health secretary. Uh, so that's really it's interesting for so many reasons, right? <laughs> How do we unpack this one? I mean, Ben, where do you want to start? I think the rather obvious place to start is well for me there's there's you know a huge amount of uh, dare I say it hatred for Matt Hancock isn't there yeah real ire and real fury I don't really feel that as much as I just look at him and think you're such a bug and and I think this week is um his judgment is just completely off isn't it and I, I do have a little bit of sympathy with him on on this you know he gave those in, in what he thought was 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 good faith. And I do kind of get the sense he's been, you know, a, a little bit poorly treated. However, we go back to the topic in hand. Uh, I think WhatsApp messages are absolutely dynamite, aren't they? Yeah. I, I obviously can't go into detail, but I, I have worked on a couple of investigations for years back now where WhatsApp messages were found and shaped the narrative of where those investigations went in a very, very dramatic way. And yeah. it's quite tempting, isn't it, to, you know, WhatsApp colleagues and sort of drop your guard and drop your standards a bit. I mm. think, well, if I say this on WhatsApp, it's not really, uh, you know, I don't have to behave in a way that I should be 
if I use Teams, yeah. Zoom, email, etc. And I think the lesson from this is that you do, uh, and I know that law firms and comms people in particular uh, are, are do have work to do here within within law firms. Yeah. But, you know, the use of WhatsApp should be treated in the same way that you would use messaging on Teams or email or 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 what have you. You know, it's not a free pass to say or you know say things you shouldn't say or or, or behave in a certain way. Absolutely. I think a lot of people, just because they know that their messages are encrypted, they think, well, that's okay because, you know, it's just me and the other person on the other end. But realistically, you know, if, if, you know, if, if you're sued for, for, if your company and you're sued for, you know, whatever issue and, and the court requires, you know, you to, to provide all the evidence, including WhatsApp messages, I don't think you can really get away from that. I mean, we're seeing it, the FCA is kind of cracking down on that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of uh, funds and banks are really, really um, on it in terms of their internal comes with their bankers and all that saying, be careful as to how you use WhatsApp and that kind of stuff. So it's really interesting that the financial services sector is, is has been very careful with this. I mean, that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. I'm sure it does. But uh, in terms of messaging, I think they've been on it for a, a bit longer, whereas I feel like lawyers not really um and it's really interesting i mean again like it it is the kind of thing where i don't know if if the sra for example is is looking at this too in terms of you know whether some privileged documents are shared on whatsapp and that kind of stuff in litigation cases where they shouldn't be and you know there's so many questions here um and it could lend a lot of people in trouble (laughs) um so i think um we've learned from from this whole um uh, story with Matt Hancock to not uh, to not do that to not give all your messages to well especially in this case the one journalist who was the most critical of his uh, work during COVID uh, I, I just think that that in itself is insane that he was willing to give that to her um, but that's another story um, yeah uh, Final point on that, though, I think the final point on Matt Hancock, if any of our listeners are know Matt Hancock or ever have any reason to message him, use Snapchat because it disappears <laughs> after five seconds or something, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's yeah, insane. It, absolutely insane uh, what's happened there. And interestingly, a lot of people were upset that, you know, she broke her NDA, but she's, she's saying that it was in the public interest, which in fairness, uh, given the circumstances of the COVID inquiry, makes a lot of sense. And and we'll see how that turns out. And, but I, I don't know. I think there's a, an interesting use of, of of the NDA stuff here as well. I mean, the, the lawyers who drafted that, um, I can see why they would do that, because obviously she was writing a book. But at the same time, the situation is so um, extreme and and with the circumstances going on i mean the the messages would have would have appeared at one point they would have been used for the for the copy of the book anyway um i i don't know i just think it's really interesting on from that point of view as well uh, in terms of the use of, of the ndas and um i know the regulators looking at that as well so um yeah uh it's, it's an interesting story all around um so people stay away from whatsapp please Last story. I mean, I mean, there, actually, I was going to ask you, um, what are you seeing? Any trends this week that you've seen that should be raised or 
Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a glass half full, glass half empty one again, isn't it? So yeah. definitely at the weekend and the beginning of the week, I was seeing quite a lot of really encouraging stories around uh, transactions and deal volumes, which obviously have a huge impact for our core legal community that you know, deals were, were, were coming back. Even, you know, the... Uh, the the, the IPO market was was coming back. There was lots of things in the in the pipeline, and you know, certainly started the week thinking, wow, maybe things really are coming back on the transactional side. But some of the stuff that we've seen in the last couple of days, such as companies wanting to list in the US rather than here, and, and things like that, have rather put a damper on that. So I think on the transactional deal volume M and A side, it, it's just really not very clear yeah. where we are. You know, you, you have all the private equity dry powder and, and and things like that, and that's certainly something to keep an eye on. I think all of our listeners, uh, and certainly everybody here at Biofield, wants you know deals to come back because it means that our, our clients do well and we do well. Uh, but let's see. That seems to be the big thing for me. I think there's going to be some quite interesting analysis um, across the weekend, so I quite look forward to, to to seeing that. So I guess that's the main thing: um, transaction, transactional volumes, or or otherwise. How about you, Meg? What are you seeing? Uh, I mean, I've not seen anything um, that interesting this week. It's been fairly, I mean, yeah, again, I think that the Cravath stories have dominated uh, the, the legal press this week. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I've not I've not seen anything else that was really major. I think something to keep an eye on is, you know, um, SRA reg- a lot of SRA stuff that's coming out in the next few weeks uh, or even a couple months, um, uh, such as, you know, investigations into slaps uh, i think we're going to start seeing the results of a few of those um is around kind of finding powers and and um cultural issues within law firms how they want to tackle that moving forward so um yeah it's interesting and i think um next week is uh international women's day so i'd be really keen to see what firms are doing for that um and and yeah uh we'll have a special guest for that next week so <laughs> make sure you tune in um well thanks for, for for this ben i really appreciate it as always uh i thought that was really nice to have you on again um always a pleasure Ben. thank you for having me <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, thank you to our listeners. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. And we'll be back next week for a special episode. Bye. You've been listening to Council Culture, the Business of Law podcast brought to you by Byfield. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and join us again next week. We'll be discussing some more of the biggest stories in the legal sector.